Hi, Nancy. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hi, Julie. Guess what today is? What's today? It's going to be our one-year anniversary month. Right. I know. It's unbelievable. I know. I mean, it's it's so uh, it's so exciting, and we've had so many comments in the past year, slowly growing and growing. It's so rewarding. Yeah, we definitely want to thank our Behind Our Door family for supporting us through this. Um, as you know, we're just two moms and just decided one day to put a podcast together. And here we are. And we're super excited and happy. And I think the way things are going. We also want to let you know that we also have a new producer. Hi there. My name's Danny. <laughs> Danny is our new producer, and we're super excited to introduce him to our podcast world. Thanks for we're so lucky, Danny. You're the best. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be a part of this squad. I love producing this podcast with you all. I really believe in the mission of it, and I look forward to growing it together. Thanks. It's great to have you with us. Yeah. It really is. It's extra special. I mean, it makes us sound so good, but also really has uh, great insight, has given us wonderful perspective on on several of our, you know, past shows that was since he started. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I look forward to his, you know, questions to the guests and chiming in from time to time and seeing seeing what you really think and how you really think, because you're a different age group. I was going to say generation. But okay. It's the same thing. Um, but it really does add great perspective. I mean, having having you from a different generation is just so important uh, with any topic that we've had. Yes. Well, maybe you can take a peek behind my door. <laughs> See, there you go. I like it. So today, what I wanted to kind of circle back, we've touched upon a few times, is Nancy and I both take calls... Um, not we don't get paid for it, but I call them crisis calls. You call them same thing, crisis calls. Um, you know, families looking for help for their loved ones and what to do and where to go. And I kind of have this script. It's not written down, but um, for years I kind of give families the same type of guidance. So I thought maybe I'd walk people through that. They wanted to take notes, write it down, get an idea of of why if if I could go back in time why I would do things differently. Um, because when I started seeking help for my son, I didn't know the first step and what to do or where to take him or, or anything. It was very overwhelming, um, very confusing. And I just listened to the whatever the doctors told me is what I did. And I feel like, not that I failed him, but I failed in in some pathways for sure. I don't know. I look at it though. You were, you know, he was so young. Yes. And that's, uh, I don't want to say unusual, but it's unusual because at times people are unaware that it's just not uh, the usual way a kid would be mm -hmm. behaving, that there's anything wrong. You might just say, oh, this is a hyper kid that is right. full of life and going to give me a run for my money. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like of all people, you're so aware of your surroundings and your, you, you were concentrating on your son, but... It was early on. You know, you right. were a new mom practically. Yes. And through a young this, mom. A young mom. You had nothing to compare it to. And uh and also it was years ago where things were not talked about as they are today. And the same. I mean, it still has a stigma to parents and you know, we've talked about it mm -hmm. a million times over in different um podcasts, but 
uh, it was just, uh, it's a different time. And look at us. Look at, you're telling this now. Get a piece of paper. And if you want to write it down, you have something to say. So. Right, right. So the the first thing that I wish I had done before taking my son to see any psychologist, therapist, anything like that is I wish I had taken him to an endocrinologist or a naturopathic doctor or whatever they call those. I forgot the there's other words for them, but to get a full thyroid panel done. I think a lot of people don't realize that a, a lot of your biological functioning can contribute to your mood, right? Makes sense. It's, it seems so simplistic, but yet we forget about that. When people are acting out, we always think it's a behavioral thing, and it's not necessarily a behavioral thing. Um, getting the thyroid panel, getting a hormonal panel done, all that contributes to your mood. Even allergies contribute to mood. So looking for a good functional medicine doctor, if the endocrinologist is not really listening, read up on it. It's, it's quite it's quite interesting on how much thyroid can affect your mood. It causes anxiety. It causes depression. It causes you to be lethargic. It causes all these various things, and often it's it's very overlooked. We go to medication first, and so I want families just back up the bus a little. And and, and we look at that a lot of times with older people. Um, you know, you think there's adolescence at the very youngest, then there's uh, pregnancy, menopause with women, mm -hmm. and then with men there's other hormonal changes. Life goes on, but you don't think of that with a young kid. And so even your son was diagnosed at 10? Was Properly. 10? Properly. We started at five and then. So so even at the age of five, you think that someone should have that panel done that young? Well, if they're starting to see behavioral changes. That's what, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think. It, that's, what's, that's what someone it would It doesn't know. hurt. It's a simple blood test or a simple saliva test. I mean, they have them online now. You don't even have to go to a doctor. You can order the whole test and the kit. I don't know what they cost. Um, but you can order them online and it comes right to your door and then you send it in and you get the results. Now, um, then they interpret them for it. Plus there's online medicine now, right? Mm -hmm. You can call up a doctor, um, get on the internet, get on an app and get diagnosed with whatever you need. It's so, it's, it's so much easier. So, um, the other thing I wanted to say is if, if in fact you've been through that and you rule all that out, then I feel that you need to find an expert, right? So often, <clears throat> I don't know about you, Nancy, excuse me, <clears throat> but how many times do you go to the doctor and you say, I'm not feeling really well or, you know, I'm really exhausted or tired and they want to throw antidepressants at you, right? Medication mm -hmm. <coughs> is, yeah. is pretty much the go-to so often. Right. Um and looking back on that, that's kind of what we did, too. We went to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician, you know, thought my son had ADHD, which, which he does. He wasn't wrong. I'm not saying they're wrong. Um, but I think you need somebody who specializes more in medications and, and mental health mm -hmm. versus someone who does a plethora of different diagnoses and treating people. So looking for that expert, like a psychiatrist. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's good with a pediatrician who knows who's maybe been your pediatrician since that child was born, mm -hmm. knows their personality, even if it's just five years in, and uh, can see that, understand the changes you're talking about or understand the, the symptoms you're talking about. 
But yeah, they should suggest it if they don't. You, sh you definitely would be better off seeing a someone specializing, like any other sickness. You know, an illness, you go see a special right. a specialist for anything. I'm, I'm curious, practically, what is it like getting access to that? Um, because so many things aren't covered by insurance and, and even just, you know, mechanically, how does one reach out to these places? Do you need to first go to your primary care doctor? Or Depends on your insurance. Yeah. Insurance really dictates where you go and how you go. Some need referrals, some don't. So mm -hmm. in the case of a referral, that's what I said. You can do a lot of this stuff online. Now. Right. Or your doctor might have someone that they know and they work with. I mean, they're, you know, it's good to know if there's someone that they know and perhaps could even talk about it together if that was the case. But seeing a specialist is, you know, how can you get access? See what you have for insurance or don't have insurance. Mm -hmm. and there's always a, there's a road to take. Right. I talk about that, which I'll wait. I'll talk about that after. Yeah. And the, the reason I bring up a functional medicine doctor, which most of them are not covered by insurance, but the reason I bring that up is because the more I'm learning about thyroid, and believe me, I'm no expert by any means, but I, I read a lot on this and I'm in a lot of different support groups for thyroid and mental health and mood disorders and you name it, I'm in it. Um, there seems to be a common theme that in generalized medicine, and I'm not trashing them either, but they they take these, they give you these tests and it all goes by a scale. And if you're within a certain parameter, you're okay. When you start to dig more into thyroid and hormonal, it's it's not that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes you have to deep a little, go a little deeper. You have to dig a little deeper to find the actual cause. So, functional functional medicine doctors will do the deeper dive into your system. You would hope. If they're not, you're at the wrong one. But <laughs> do you think this is because I'm not I'm not into it as much as you are as mm -hmm. far as um, in the know, do you think this is getting to be more and more acceptable in, or, or was it always something that was out there, even when your son was five, was, was it, was there an end, was there a pediatric endo, endocrinologist? Yes. Is there such thing? Yes. And was it exis existing yes. at that time? Yes. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, because I found one and took my son to get tested and, um, you know, just to make sure everything was functioning well. Like if you're B12 is low in your system. Look at vitamin D. We live in the Midwest. If you're not getting enough sun, um, you have to take B, um, I'm sorry, vitamin D supplements. You know, all those contribute to mood and boosting your mood. So it could be something as simplistic as that. That's why I want people just think a little more outside the box before you jump into a medication regimen. And, and sometimes to regulate moods, uh, say, staying away from the medication, if that was the case, you can change your hormone level from exercise, eating differently. Um, there's, you know, a lot out there. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, because that boosts your cortisol levels. And they say listening to music. I mean, it's yes, it's all of like that. there's a lot right there in front of you. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want people to start thinking uh, a little, a little more forward thinking. Um, Often we rely on any doctor because, you know, they're, they're a doctor, right? And, uh, that's what I was doing. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do with my son. And, and as I said, that's a young mother. You know, you didn't know otherwise. I, I don't know that many people that would know before listening to this, Julie, about, <laughs> about what they could do with that kind of hormonal therapy to a young person. Right. And 
you know, it, it behooves people to really look into it on a deeper level. It, it could be something so, it could be allergies. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing. Do you know Lyme disease looks like mental illness? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. See, there's so many people who are like, oh, I never knew that. I'm like, yeah. And I had given my son way back when a Lyme disease test. I asked the endocrinologist, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, and he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, do you camp? I said, no, but, but nonetheless, you never know. I'm like, I want to try everything. And, and supplements can be fantastic. They can also be detrimental to your mental health. So you have to really work with someone who understands them to know what to take, how much to take. I don't want everybody running to Walgreens or Rite Aid yeah, and to have the right, <laughs> if stocking you, if you, up on... If you did something, at, an at-home test to have the right person interpret it, I would correct. I would not try and interpret that myself with Google, Dr. Google. <laughs> no, not at all. And so then when we talk about moving into more on the medication and stuff and, and finding a psychiatrist... Where do you, Nancy, refer people to? Um, Well, I look at it when I get these calls, like we're calling them crisis calls, and certainly like Julie's saying, we are not clinicians. Our advice is really from having our name all over the place and God knows where, because I don't know, sometimes people call and they don't even remember who gave them my name, but I'm always glad they call. Um, I look at each call as a puzzle. I mean, just always thinking... Mm -hmm. Even if I don't know the answer, saying, I'll call you back, I'll find something. Because people are calling in crisis or at least very distressed over, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn, otherwise, of course, they wouldn't be calling. So when it comes to, first and foremost, one of the most common questions is, how am I going to find someone for either myself or the person I'm caring for? And of course, you have to first ask if they have insurance, because mm-hmm. if you don't have a doctor, psychiatrist, therapist, or otherwise, social worker, it's great to have, if you do have insurance, it's great to get someone who is on your insurance so that you feel good about um, seeing them every week or very often and not having the financial burden. Yes. So if you have insurance, um, I tell someone to go get their insurance card turn over to the back side and there is always a customer service number 800-888-something or there and usually they separate out a mental health and substance abuse or mental health um, phone number a separate number to call and uh, I always like when they do that because then you know you don't have to wait you know and go through tw- 20 hoops to get what you want they're all set up for it and I do feel like insurance companies are getting better and better with yes. setting themselves up to be able to be able to really put someone on the phone, you're not waiting on hold forever like other things. And many times they will give you say, "What's your email?" They'll ask first what your zip code is and say, "Would you be willing to go 15 miles, 20 miles, 35 miles from your zip code address and um, and look for a professional in that realm?" And and then they will most likely email you the specialists or um, you know it's very with. With HIPAA and all of these regulations, sometimes there are passwords or certain ways for you to look at a site. You know, different companies have different ways, but they will very quickly get you an updated version of who's who's available. And if you save that, by the way, for a long time and you look back a year later, um, always get an updated list from your insurance company because these professionals come and go. Sometimes they don't want to deal with uh, a certain insurance company mm-hmm. and, you know, they... 
they really do change. So, so you don't waste your time going through, finally getting through to a professional saying, oh, I don't, I'm not on that insurance anymore. Get an updated, if it takes every two months, I would get an updated list. So they'll send you a list and, um, and then it's you to sort of vet through. Sometimes um, they'll, these insurance companies will say, what, what specialists are you looking for? Someone in bipolar disorder, someone who specializes in um, schizophrenia, whatever it is. And that's, of course, even a better case scenario because then you, you know, go through that list even to a more specific. So that's if you do have insurance. If you don't have insurance um, and you have, um, even if you have not, if you don't have Medicaid, in other words, somebody who's unemployed and therefore doesn't have insurance for employment and they are over the age of, um, if they were kids over the age of 26, you can't be on your parents anymore unless you're on COBRA, which is, by the way, paying for, it's a premium, having the um, continued insurance, yes. 26 on for 18 months, paying uh, through your parents' insurance, which can be costly, but some people do that if they can and they want to keep the same doctors. Anyway, um, Medicaid, which of course still is insurance and Medicare, but Medicaid, um, if you're unemployed and, uh, and you're looking for coverage, you can apply. You go on, um, I, don't, I don't want to give the specifics because I don't get, want to give it wrong, but you'll go on a website and find like Illinois.gov something and, um, and apply for Medicaid and kind of get the ball rolling. And then um, you it's not that long of a process. If you have trouble, there are organizations that can help you um, help you accelerate those applications. And, um, and then that you go through the same process that I just described. If you do have insurance, Medicaid has insurance cards. They have the 1-800 number on the back that is for mental health and substance abuse. And they are very good about give the zip code, um, they'll give you the list, just as I described. If you um, if you don't have any insurance and you have no um, and you have no application in for anything through Medicaid, and you need someone right now, there are organizations that you can find through uh, religious organizations, your clergy, um, they Catholic have charities. Catholic charities. Um, there are places that throughout big cities, I mean, we happen to be in Chicago, big cities and small um, rural areas where there is mental health support for people that cannot afford it. And um, you can Google just that, mental health support, and these organizations, nonprofit mental health support, and these organizations in your local area will come up, and you call them, and if they charge or they have something, they will then have the resource for you to go to where for people that don't have the resource, the financial resources. So there is, in, I'd say since the pandemic, there is absolutely something for everybody. If you are ready and willing to speak to someone about your mental health or you're a caregiver looking for someone for your person, they're out there. Um, you, can, uh, you can really find it. And especially telehealth now, you can even um, get some sort of, uh, some sort of, texting line or something to speak to someone. There yes. is something for everybody. There's crisis lines all, yeah. all out there. And I wanted to mention off of that, Nancy, in Illinois for children, we have what's called SAS services. Oh, right. right. And that is free. So, but the, the, the thing is your child has to be in some sort of crisis, but if they're in crisis, you call SAS services 
S-A-S-S. I forgot what it stands for. I apologize. And they will come out during the crisis and basically, you know, you will start to get services through them for free through the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. That's now, right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad ass- you brought that yeah, up. Yeah, I'm assuming that maybe other states might have something similar. So I know you're overwhelmed as a caregiver or a parent, um, but take the time out and start networking, basically. That's where I yeah. get all my good information. Right, and and take the, try to take the crisis down a notch to realize there is something. You can find something. And I think that some of the first, you know, five minutes of a conversation I have with a family member or um, or even a person themselves struggling, kind of, what am I going to do? There is, um, there is always something. Like I said, I look at this as a puzzle, and it can be, um, it, it definitely can be working pieces that get you somewhere, anywhere you are listening to this. There's something. For those people that that call that say, "Oh, I'm you know this person that I'm trying to look for services for is refusing service. I don't know what to do." Um, you know, that's tough. You can't force, I'm, I'm talking more about an adult, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, and for some reason, over 18, right. Over 18. For some reason, many of my calls are for 18 and over. They're for adults regarding adults. Um, I don't get that many calls about young children. So I'm glad you're talking about that. And I'm talking about this in Mm -hmm. a way it covers more, but, um, but when somebody is refusing, refusing, refusing help, the best thing to do, and I think I've said this in past podcasts too, is get help for yourself because yes. whether you live with this person or not, it will make you stronger to really deal with this chronic condition. Mental illness does not just get solved and go away. So it's to to sort of take yourself down a notch or two of crisis and that distressed, what am I going to do, is um, get help yourself. And sometimes that trickles down with your newfound strength from seeing a therapist or what have you, that will trickle down to the person in need and sometimes turn things around because you're not panicking and harping on that person. And um, it has happened many times where sort of makes things fall into place. So with a little patience and time and doing good things for yourself, like talk, finding someone for yourself to talk to, uh, it's amazing how the, the wheel can turn. Yeah, I agree with you. One of the best places, I think, and easiest places to, to gain some insight and gain some support is probably social media because there's so many different support groups on there, especially Facebook. Um, obviously not Twitter and I'm not a TikToker. So <laughs> Danny, you got any TikTok advice? There's a lot of, uh, mental health support on TikTok. There's okay. a lot of creators that offer advice, of course, free advice. It's all just on their page. And, uh, if you were to search any of those ha- hashtags, I'm sure you could find some great advice. However, I would be sure to filter through for people that are accredited, people that are doctors, people that have their yeah, good you know, advice because there's a lot of quacks out there. As yeah. Well. Yeah. But I found that, um, you know, Facebook really has a lot of, a lot of good, good support groups out there for families. And, you know, it's just about sharing your experience and what you're going through in that moment. And sometimes that's all you need to get through the day. And I know we harp on support, support, support a lot, yeah. but it's really the key part because Absolutely. if you, if you're not taking care of yourself, 
you can't take care of other people. That's, I, I think that's, I can't say that enough. I think that support for yourself is, um, support for yourself is the best medication to, to get through, to get through this. Yeah. It's, it's like when you're on the airplane, they say you have to put your oxygen mask on right. first before you can put your, your child's on. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly Good it. Good analogy. Exactly it. And obviously there's always, there's NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. There's DBSA, which is Depression Bipolar Support Alliance. Um, there is Bring Change to Mind. There, I mean, boy, every celebrity who's come out, I feel like recently, is starting an organization. So mm -hmm. just get out there and Google and start to connect. Mm -hmm. And it's approachable. I mean, these are approachable organizations. They have 1-800 numbers. They have emails. If you're not just on Facebook and all of these, you can just look at their websites and find out how to contact them and get information. The National Alliance on Mental Illness, of course, is always my go-to just having worked for them. But um, that's, you know, some of these, that's on a national level and state levels for local. A lot of these um, will have the same. They'll have a general website, but how to get in touch more specifically. And, um, and they get back to you. They're they're really they're out there to help people. So don't ever think it's too big to reach out. Mm -hmm. They're really there to help. And they do a lot of online support yep. services too. Um, when you were talking about refusing, you know, or people who don't want to get help or it's hard to get them help, I just want to comment on that a little bit because here in Illinois we have what's called as an involuntary mental health petition. Mm -hmm. And I think I've talked about this also in the past. People should Google their mental health laws in their state and find out what they are. That specifically. Now, this has to be when someone is a danger to self or other specifically. And that's how most of the um, involuntary petitions are. But if your loved one in Illinois is going through a major crisis and they are a danger to themselves or others, you can do a mental health peti petition and get them involuntary involuntarily admitted into a hospital facility, which, um, I, now don't quote me on the time, but I believe they have to hold them up to 96 hours. Mm -hmm. So and that it, might be just enough. I think, I think it's three days that gives them just enough time to, you know, maybe get them a little stability mm -hmm. and to assess what's going on a little bit more. And yes. And as we've said uh, like a million times in the past year on this podcast, that it's really hard to think about the police intervention of uh, someone that you love, but it's getting them help and uh, it's getting them to the place they need to be. And sometimes that crisis needs to, um, I never like to say hit rock bottom because I think it's the top when you get to go to the hospital and assess and really mm -hmm. start the journey of finding out what is what is the best avenue to take? Um, it, you know, it's a tough, tough situation that has a really good answer. And so thinking of involuntarily having someone go into a hospital could be the best thing that ever happened to them in some ways. Yeah. I mean, they'll find out and like, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, I've done it. Do a lot. Yeah, I've done it both personally and professionally. So I understand both aspects of it. Now, it varies state to state. Not all of them are called involuntary yeah, petitions. Right. In Florida, it's called a Baker Act. In California, it's called something else. I don't, I don't remember. But um, look it up because 
here in Illinois, it doesn't have to be a first responder who does the involuntary petition. It can be anyone that does it. Anyone who observes the behavior or is a witness to, they can do the petition. Mm-hmm. So that's something unique in Illinois that we have. Um, where other states, it may have to be someone who is a paramedic or a police officer. Now that That's good advice to say, you know, be proactive, look in your own state of what, what those laws are. And, and that's another general rule. The more proactive you are in finding out information before you may need it, the better also. I mean, uh, you know, if you feel like things are kind of uh, a little out of control or you're beginning to notice things about yourself or the person that you're caring for, it's a good idea to start start right now. Start looking up some of these things before you might have some sort of real crisis hit. If, if you know, maybe perhaps it won't ever hit, but it's good to start to really read up on this. It makes you feel better. I mean, it will, the more you know. You know yeah. So I think it's that thing. Exactly. Including making these calls, like to the, mm-hmm. uh, finding out the laws in your state. Right. And it's not like we're experts. We just, right. you know, for me, I lived it. And the best resource I found was other parents who were living it. And those were the ones that really taught me how to navigate the mental health system. Yeah. Um, some of those on our show. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. A lot of them. Thankfully, I've met a lot of great people over the years who have really helped and, and changed my son's life for the better. Because um, one of the other laws in Illinois is if you're a juvenile under the age of 18, you can seek therapy without your parents knowing. Right. And it's free. Yeah, that's important. Where would someone do that? So because it's a law and they don't say go see Dr. So-and-so, um, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly not really sure how you implement that. But I believe you could probably coordinate it with school. Um, some of it is you can walk into a hospital and wow. say, I need help. That's amazing. And, and the hospital should then intervene. Now, I can't yeah. speak for every single hospital in the state <laughs> yeah, of right. Illinois or anywhere else, um, but ideally, they should get them to a crisis worker and start working on some type of plan. Yeah, and a lot of these schools are getting to be uh, very prepared for kids to walk in with some major issues and um, have them seek the proper help, taking them to a hospital emergency room and so on. And so um, that's something to really look into. What is your what is your child, if you're looking at a child, teenager, even a college student, what does the school have? Um, and make sure they know about it. They could just get access to it. And if the parents don't know, hopefully the kids will seek it out. Yeah, and and if you're college age, 18 or above, excuse me again, they they too have counselors. They have a whole disability Mm -hmm. section that's set up, and they can connect you with local resources, which is always good to have. Right. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which I know sometimes can overwhelm parents, and I'm talking more about the younger school age, is while you're enthralled in this search to find answers, you also have to deal with school, right? All these parents are like, oh my God, my kid is, you know, doesn't want to go to school or is going to school and acting out or, um, you know, I'm getting constant phone calls and I don't know what to do. So my advice to them is to get an IEP in place, which is an individualized educational plan. And 
a lot of people think they should get a 504. We had a guest on. You can, yeah. you know, you can backtrack and and go through our podcast to find out more specific details. But you want to get both of them are for special education, and the meaning behind it is that it's a support system in the school, and you want to do that simultaneously while you're getting your child diagnosed and or treated because they need support on on both ends. And and you have to, it takes effort. You have to really advocate for this. It's not like an easy feat to do this oftentimes, but um, our past episode was with attorney Matt Cohn. If you want to look it up, he was so thorough and gave great advice to the logistics of this. Um, But I think also with that is to really know um, and advocate for and not lose knowing the core of that child, your child, knowing they are not a bad kid. This is someone who is, there's something that's not right. Um, and sometimes if the teachers are saying, this is really, this is a problem kid, we don't want to have them at our school or whatever, and I've heard everything of these calls. And um, if you if you know in your heart and know this child of yours or this family member who's older, that they're, you know, they're, these are wonderful people that have an illness and, mm-hmm. and you stick to it and you can get the right, on the right course for just being that way and advocating for that individual. Because sometimes you'll have even professionals that will read it the other way and try and send them in another direction that you just know that is just not right. So stick to your heart on that one. Um, really know who you're talking, know that you are correct in the core of your individual and you'll find more, you know, specific needed help. Yeah. I used to look at it as I was the CEO of my son's care. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) CEO. And so what I started to do as we got these different people in place. And at that time, my son had to see a, a psychiatrist, a therapist, a neurologist because he was having um, tremors, some from medication, some I think hereditary, still unsure. Um, his school principal, his school teacher, special ed teacher, and his counselor at school, and his psychiatrist that was doing the medication. So all these different entities are not obviously talking to anyone. And what I started to do was email blasts. I wanted everyone to be on the same page. So if he had a bad day at school and they were seeing certain behaviors, I wanted his doctor to know that these behaviors were transpiring. If we were changing medications, I wanted the school to know that we were changing medications because ultimately when children are going through a medication change, it's not always good. And so I didn't want the school to have unrealistic expectations on him during this tr- this period of changing medications. And thankfully, it, it worked out well. I mean, some of them, you know, didn't answer. They didn't have to answer every day. But the point is, they read it, right? And they knew what was going on. And the more I was willing to advocate and help my son, the more they were willing to help me. That's great. I, that's so smart, Julie. It really is. I mean, that really gets you places. It's easier for the, think of being a teacher or on the other, the other side in that way. The more information they have, the easier it is for them to know what course of action to take. 
and the more patience they will exhibit most likely with that child. Right. And I want to be honest and upfront. I'm not an expert in this. I had no idea what I was doing and I needed their input and I needed their help. And so sometimes parents get mad that teachers aren't, aren't, aren't reacting as well as they should be or, you know, labeling their kids or punishing their kids or, but I took it more as a, as a teachable moment. I didn't go in there guns a blazing, you know, I think as parents, we're protectors and Mm -hmm. don't you dare mess with my kid. You know, we're going to take you down. I, I didn't go in like that. I went in like, here's the situation. We are dealing with a child who at the time was diagnosed with X, Y, and Z and then re-diagnosed with another X, Y, and Z. And I, I want you to help me as, as much as you can. Um, we're all going to make mistakes. And they did make mistakes. And I wasn't very happy about it. But I wasn't going to hold that against them because we're never going to move forward. And they're, they're yeah. never going to help me in the future. So you have to navigate school system, you know, kind of um, on your on your tiptoes, so to speak. You don't you don't want to poke the bear because then you're not going to get the help that you yeah, need. Right. Um, it's kind of a a hard situation sometimes to be in because you're trying to advocate for your child, but if you push it too much, they may not want to help you, and you need their help mm-hmm. and. Yeah. So you have to, you have to, it's a fine line. You have to be careful where you, where you push and where you pull. And I really just tried to befriend everyone. And thankfully that I had a lot of success with that. Yeah. No, it's, that's a. And bribery goes a long way. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> you did say you bought an awful lot of gifts. <laughs> I did. I mean, whatever works. So <laughs> to each his own. That worked for me. No. And they didn't do things, obviously, because I bought them gifts. But I was so appreciative that they went the extra mile to do whatever they were. You know, there were some teachers who would take my son on a walk. And I don't think that's part of the IEP or was part of the curriculum. Or they would take him outside the building and remove him from the situation so he could take a breath, regroup, and go back in. So Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really exceptional. The whole, your whole story on it is exceptional. How you had the wherewithal to do that. Yeah, I think it came from my mom. <laughs> she was a, a big, uh, you know, just a big advocate for for us growing up. And I don't know. I just, I looked at it as an illness. I didn't look at it as my child. Like, you have to separate the two, right? Mm-hmm. And so I always thought in my head, if my son had cancer, my son had diabetes, epilepsy, any anything, wouldn't, wouldn't you be helping me? Mm-hmm. Right. It's so much more straightforward for those. I'm just in awe of your ability to kind of shelve your ego and just keep in mind that the end goal is to get the best care and experience for your son. Oh, so and sweet. That's going to make me cry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just commend you for that. It's very, oh, it's very I know. Thank you. It's accept- that, that's like a story of exceptional parenting. You know, it you, really is. You under, love under you love this. your children, right? Mm-hmm. You love right. your children, and there's nothing. At right. the end of the day, it's about them. So that's true. That is. Really and it doesn't true. matter the age. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, in conclusion, I hope some of this helped everyone out there, and I hope it's a good kind of guidebook that we've never written down. Or did you have anything you wanted to add? Nancy, to our uh, little guidebook. No, I feel like we could talk, you know, as, as always, talk on and on about this. But 
Um, you know, I just feel like uh, taking that panic out of your, you know, your thought for the moment and just hearing a few ideas of um, where to begin mm -hmm. is the best way. And that there's, you know, talking to someone about it is probably the first and foremost best thing you can do. Pick up a phone if you feel that's it and, um, and just hear another voice who understands. I have people that have called me about this from past my, my profession, but also like you as a mother. And I speak from my heart and look at it where my son has said to me over, you know, over the years and, you know, in his now young adulthood that he's glad I never stopped believing in him. And uh, I think that's, that's like the uh, name of the game with this. You just keep, keep going, keep believing in who this person is. And I think of some of the advice I got over the years, um, once when my son was on medication that I knew was not right for him and saying he had such behavioral issues, sure enough, the medication, you know, I refused mm -hmm. to take that knowing who he is. And um, the medication changed, and I was right. I mean, things turned around just that much. So, um, you know, we, Julie and I could talk on and on about our own stories and these calls that have come in, mm -hmm. but the main message is um, it doesn't have to be you ruminating at home mm -hmm. and worried, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, which is very easy to do. The best thing you can do is uh, look into it with some of these ideas. Yeah. Change takes time. Yep. Nothing happens overnight. Right. Patience. So mm -hmm. have realistic expectations that. You know, this didn't all transpire in one year for my yeah, right, son. Right. He's 29. Yeah. So we started at five. He's 29. It's, mm -hmm. it's taken a long, long time. But um, just know you're not alone. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Right. Never alone. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at behind our door at mail.com that's behind our door at mail.com and please don't forget to like and share our podcast um leave us a rating tell us how we're doing we really want your feedback it's important to us we are so thankful that you are here and listening to us if you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness you can call the national suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening.